Turn with me, if you will, to Revelation chapter 4. Lord willing, we'll look at a thought or two here from verses 1 and 2. This is the word of the Lord. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Now, we're not going to say a lot about that tonight, but heaven forbid we ever get used to phrases like that in the Bible. A door is standing open in heaven. You remember back in Genesis, um, early on, Adam and Eve, God made man upright and he sought out many devices. Adam and Eve fall, fall there in the garden and it says there, at the end of one of those early chapters, It said, God drove man out from the garden, and he put a cherubim there and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the tree of life. What is the message that God is sending? He's sending the message, keep out. You remember in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, even in Exodus, where God gives the law. There's all these laws, and then there's there's these places in the temple, and certain people could come this far, Other people could come a little bit further, and only one man got to go all the way, and he only got to do that once a year, all the way into the presence of God. What is the message? Keep out. But what happens here in Revelation 4? A door is standing open in heaven. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let's read on. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking to me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one was sitting on the throne. Amen context of revelation we must ever remind ourselves is not an in is not an end times conference on a nice mountain somewhere you know people go to these retreats and you go to this nice mountain place and there's all this beautiful scenery kind of away from the world you have a few sessions on the end times that's may may possibly have its place but that's not what's going on here in revelation revelation is written and was experienced in real life, in pain and in struggle. It's um, the primary person here given this vision. John is exiled on the island of Patmos. He's probably very lonely. I have no doubt that the devil's been tempting him. The devil's been in his mind trying to vie him away from truth, trying to shut him down. And we learn in Revelation 1 through 3, there's churches that are being tempted with... All sorts of things. Some churches are being tempted to worldliness. Some churches are being uh, tempted to compromise the truth. Other churches are holding strong to the truth, but their love is waning. It's a lot of the same stuff we deal with on a daily basis, being bombarded by temptations from the world. And in the midst of all of this, in the midst of the temptations of the world, And all of these circumstances that are around vying for our truth, trying to make our love wane for Christ. And John, sitting there all alone on the island of Patmos, 
Christ gives an invitation. What does He say? He says, come up here. Come up here. Christ's call to John is Christ also His call to us. Come up here. What is God doing for him? He's changing his perspective. He wants to change his perspective. He's calling John to see all of life and all of history as God sees it, which is only to say as it really is. God is calling him up. Come up here. He's going to change his perspective. He's going to wipe the fog away from some of the circumstances that he's living in that are vying for his attention. Or things can get clear and hazy if you're not careful. If you're not diligent to guard your mind, you start getting sucked into things. And God says, come up here. For us, for John, literally, he's being lifted up in a vision to the throne room of God. For us, generally speaking, what this will mean is on a daily basis, getting into the presence of God and renewing our mind and the Word of God. That is the need for us. Because like I said, what tends to happen is the daily pressures of the world leave the strong impression that your, that your problems are the real thing and the things of God are just like inspiring stories or something. kind of feels like Middle Earth sometimes. Interesting story, but not a lot of relevance to my life right now. The devil wears you down and tries to rivet your perspective on the thing below. That's always been his tactic. That's always been what the devil has tried to do. We sometimes think that what the devil in the first order is trying to do is to get everybody to be an atheist. That's not what he's trying to do. He's just trying to distract you for a minute. He just wants to get your mind off of God for a second. What does he do with Adam and Eve in the garden, especially with Eve? He just wants her to look at the fruit. That's what he wants her to do. He wants her to take her mind off God for a moment and start from her own perspective and look at this fruit and notice it apart from God. And that's what happens to us too. He wants to get our mind. He wants us to start with the things down here below and to get caught up in the things below and the churn of this world and what Paul calls the pattern of this life, the pattern of this world. He wants to trip us up with that. And he wants us to start us to look and start us looking apart from God. And he'll take a bad day at school. He'll take a bad day at work. He'll take a, uh, a season of sickness or any other difficulty that we face and start to make God feel like a distant reality. And the thought that he's trying to get into your mind is, is you better start fending for yourself. You better start fending for yourself. God's principles are good, they're applicable in many times, but there are a lot of exceptions. And when things get hard, you better have a backup plan, because things will get hard. That's what the devil's trying to do. He tries to introduce doubt. And what Christ says to this suffering man on Patmos, John, he also says to us, come up here. Come up here. What Paul says in uh, Romans chapter 12, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Cut through all the fog and see things as they really are. We have to have our mind lifted up. We have to have our mind calibrated from all of the circumstances that are vying around us. We aren't left to fend for ourselves. The Bible says that God works all things for good 
to those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. There's nothing that is haphazard in this life. There's nothing that's wasted. Do you realize this? There's not a moment of your life that is wasted. Not a moment of your life that's wasted. You're not all alone. God says, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And more than that, you are a part of a family, the family of God. See, the devil will try to make you feel all alone. That's not true. You've got to cut through that. You need to come up here. You need to have your mind renewed. Christ is with you and you. He sets the solitary in families, it says. If you ask Him for bread, He will not give you a fish. And daily faithfulness is significant. You are not a slave to sin. You're a slave to Christ. And in Him, you are a new creation. He can save anybody. Don't let, it, don't let the devil lie about that. I know some of you carry immense burdens about lost children. God can save them. He saves people like that all the time. And He invites us not to lose hope. Because in the midst of those moments when the devil's vying for your attention and your mind's being pulled down to here below and you're tempted to get caught up in the sway of this world, He says, come up here. See things from my perspective, which is only to say, see things how they really are. Well, what does John see when he gets there? Immediately, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing. Praise God. Listen to this. This throne is the centerpiece of this text. It's the centerpiece of this section. It's the centerpiece of all of Revelation. The idea of throne comes up 50 to 60 times in Revelation, even more than the concept and idea of heaven. That should tell us what this book's about. It's about a throne. Listen to this. And he was sitting like a jasper stone. Verse 3. And Sardis in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were 24 thrones, And upon the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which were the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures... We're four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. You hear the emphasis here. There is a throne standing in heaven. And here midweek, that is what we need our mind renewed to. We need to remember when our life feels like it's being just washed away and all these things are happening and there's so much that we don't have control over, a throne stands in heaven. There's a throne standing in heaven. Rather than the world can feel at times like it's just random, humanity is one big power struggle. You've heard it recently. Who's going to control the House? Who's going to control the Senate? Who's going to control the presidency? Who's going to control the Supreme Court? What's going to happen to the United Nations? What's going to happen with all these thrones? Who's going to be in control? Well, midweek here, Wednesday night... God tells us this, come up here. Let me show you something. There's a throne standing above all those thrones. A throne stands in heaven. 
And it goes on, not only is this throne standing in heaven, it says this, the throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. So you have the throne that's standing, but God is sitting. His reign is underway. He is not waiting to reign. He's not trying to reign. He's not getting ready to reign. Christ is reigning as we speak. He's on His throne and there is not an inch of all of this creation that is not under His Lordship. Everything from Mount Everest down to the deepest canyon, I think the, what is it, the Mariana uh, Canyon out there um, in the western Pacific is something like 36,000 feet below the ocean. Every bit of it is under the sovereign rule of Jesus Christ. From the president that's going to be installed here in a couple of days to how long it is taking your kids to get their math lessons done. Everything from the national debt to your own finances. Everything from these mass shootings. Christ is Lord of that. And Christ is Lord of your lost kids that are breaking your heart. He's Lord of absolutely everything. And do not let the devil sell you a bill of goods that Christ is not on His throne. He's reigning. The throne stands and He is seated. It's finished. He must reign. He must reign. He's Lord of everything. What is the invitation? He says, come up here. Have your mind renewed. See things from God's perspective, which is only to say, see things as they really are. You cannot afford to let your thoughts get swept away by the world. Brethren, do not be missing time in the Word of God. And not just reading it like a textbook, but seek to meet with God. Seek to have your mind lifted up into the throne room of God. Haven't you experienced it when you really meet with God and the truth is driven home to you and the fog is cleared away and you see everything clearly again? What encouragement it brings to your heart. You've been defeated by some sin for a long time and back there in Romans 6 you're reading along and all of a sudden God makes it real to you. Sin shall not be master over you. It will not You're not under law. You're under grace. You're under grace. Law was raining on you? No. Grace is raining on you now. That's the reality. And God makes it, brings it home to your heart. And oh, it's so different. Beloved, be renewing your mind in the Word of God. There's a psalm that brings all of this together for us. And I want us to look at that as we close in Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Psalm 73, and we'll start here in verse 1. This is the psalmist speaking. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. I love that because he's about to say some. He's about to tell you about a very hard time he's been through, but he doesn't. He doesn't know if you're going to hang with him through the whole psalm. So he wants to make it clear at the very beginning: God is good. 
You're going to hear some horrible things that I've been through, but let me just tell you, if you don't make it through the whole psalm, I want you to, I want to, I want you to start with this. God is good to Israel. What happened? His mind's renewed. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. You see what happened? He got to living down here. He started with himself. And he started with his problems around him. And he started trying to work things out from there. He wanted to evaluate things. But he didn't start with God. He started with himself. And it gets very discouraging when you do that. He goes on. We'll pick up in verse 12. Behold, these are the wicked. And always at ease. They have increased in wealth Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence, for I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. That's what happens. You start with yourself, it will get very discouraging. He let the cares of this world, he started looking around him and evaluating things on the surface, and it seemed like following God was a sham. And kids, isn't this the temptation that you're sometimes tempted to think? Isn't it sometimes that you think, man, if I really follow God, I may miss the good life? I may miss some fun that this world has to offer? I just don't know if God, following God, is really going to be the good life. That's what he's facing too. He's facing this thought. This all seems like it's vain. It all seems like it's not worth it. It's not going to be worth it to deny myself and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But listen to what happens. Verse 18. When I pondered this, it was troublesome in my sight until, here's the key, I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Surely you have set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. You see, the fog started to clear. He's no longer down here and evaluating and starting with himself and starting with the problems and letting his mind be carried away by the patterns of this world. Whatever latest thing's kind of sweeping through Facebook that's got me all emotional and worked up, I'm just getting swept along by it, or the problem that's happening this morning or how bad the kids are doing and I'm just kind of getting caught up in it, or problems at work or how the finances aren't working out. And all of these things where it feels like it's vain to try and keep following the Lord in it. And you better start fending for yourself. No, that's not what happens here. Finally, he's taken away from all of that. And he gets his perspective up from, he gets up where God is. And he sees things how God sees them. And he says, wait a second. What would it profit if a man would gain the whole world and lose his soul? Maybe God didn't give me all these shiny things the world chases because he doesn't want me to go to hell. God's way is the good way. Following Christ is the good life. It will not profit you to gain the world and lose your soul. And the psalmist saw that. Got this with me here tonight. It's kind of small. I don't know if you'll be able to see what it is. 
I don't know if you can see that right there. Some of you may know what that is. Does anybody know what that's called? Fool's gold. Charlie and I were trying to look for it in a drawer that was full of stuff, to say the least. And he said, Dad, I think I see something shiny. And that's exactly what would happen with this stuff right here. It'd be laying down in the water or laying in a mine, and these miners would come up on it, and they'd see something shiny, and they'd grab it. And they'd pull it up and say, We found gold. And get all excited and take it to somebody, take it to a person who buys gold, and in the end, they'd say, this is worthless, that's not gold. And they'd look like a fool. That's where it got its name, fool's gold. And that's exactly what happens in the world. Just like this rock glimmers and looks like gold, it looks like it's worth something, it's actually not worth much. And that's what happens in the world. All these shiny things that people are chasing after, it's fool's gold. And in the end, you get sold a bill of goods and you're a fool. Don't be like that. Have your mind renewed and see things as God sees them. What happened to the psalmist? How did he get from the place that he's looking at the prosperity of the wicked, he's looking at all these people that don't follow God and they seem to live in relatively ease until he comes to the place in the next moment to say, hey, wait a second. Basically, what does it gain a man if he, what would it profit a man if he gains the world and loses his soul? He's starting to see things from an internal perspective. Do you see what happened here? Look at verse 17. Until I came into the sanctuary of God. He got into the throne room. Come up here. See God reigning on His glorious throne and let Him clear the fog away. Be transformed in the renewing of your mind so that you can see fool's gold for what it is. The world has all of these things. They promise you that are going to satisfy you. They will not satisfy you. Money, possessions, doing little things to try and fit in with people. <coughs> Probably sounds like I'm talking to kids. I'm actually talking to adults. Doing little things to fit in with people. Compromises here and there. Not pressing on to know the Lord because it feels better not to. That's all lies. Don't live there. Be transformed in the renewing of your mind and hear the call of God. He says, come up here. And when you get there and the fog clears, you will see there is a throne standing in heaven. He's Lord of everything. Lord of absolutely everything. And you will end as the psalmist did here. Verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you, and beside you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Amen. Let's pray. God, we, th we want to thank you tonight for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't just save us, but that you are saving us and you will save us. And we want to invite you tonight, Lord, even though you're Lord of everything, we just want to say it again. Would you come be Lord of our lives? 
Lord, the little areas of compromise or any little areas of sin or areas that we've become weak, Lord, would you bring them to our attention? And by the Spirit of God, would you help us to press on to know the Lord? We pray you'd be Lord of our lives. We pray you'd be Lord of this church and that, God, you'd get honor and glory and what you see here tonight you would smile upon. And we just want to say it again, Lord, have your own way. In Christ's name, amen.